Hello, it's Monday, the 15th of January, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang-ho. North Korea claims to have successfully launched a solid-fuel hypersonic intermediate-range ballistic missile on Sunday. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. For our in-depth today, we'll be discussing Kim Jue, the daughter of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, and whether she could be his successor to lead the reclusive regime. And coming up for Monday Sports Roundup, we preview South Korea's first AFC Asian Cup game against Bahrain and the Winter Youth Olympics taking place in Gangwon Province. We have all that and more on today's Korea 24. North Korea on Monday touted the successful launch of a solid-fuel hypersonic intermediate-range ballistic missile the previous day. This has triggered censure from South Korea, the US and other nations. At KBS World Radio News Editor Koo Hee-jin joins us in the studio to update us on this story, as well as our other headlines of the day. Hee-jin, hello. Hello, jang So this launch marked the first missile provocation of the year by North Korea. What more can you tell us? Well, North Korea's state-run Korean Central News Agency cited the Missile General Bureau, saying the test was part of the agency and its affiliated Defense Science Institute's regular activities in developing powerful weapon systems. Seoul's Joint Chiefs of Staff confirmed that Pyongyang launched the IRBM at approximately 2.55pm on Sunday. It marked the first ballistic missile provocation of the year and comes 27 days after the launch of an intercontinental ballistic missile on December 18th. Experts say the regime is expected to further raise tensions in the region with provocations ahead of South Korea's general elections in April and the US presidential election in November. Now, South Korea's military determined that Sunday's missile flew about 1,000 kilometres and landed in the East Sea. Japan, however, said it flew 500 kilometres before falling into the ocean. So what else can you tell us about the launch? Well, the IRBM has a range of about 3,000 to 5,500 kilometres, putting it within striking range from North Korea to US military bases in Okinawa and Guam. Hypersonic missiles are considered difficult weapons to intercept as they're capable of anomalous uh, manoeuvres at ultra-high speeds several times the speed of sound. Meanwhile, the Defence Ministry issued a stern warning that the latest launch was a clear provocative act that violates UN Security Council resolutions and urged the regime to stop immediately. The Unification Ministry also followed up with its own condemnation, saying that North Korea's actions are threatening peace in the region. And the launch triggered international condemnation, with the US calling it a violation of UN Security Council resolutions. Uh, what else did they say? Well, in response to an inquiry by a South Korean media outlet, the State Department said the US condemns North Korea's ballistic missile, adding that this launch, as well as other ballistic missile launches by Pyongyang in recent years, is in violation of multiple Security Council resolutions. The department, however, reiterated that Washington remains committed to a diplomatic approach to Pyongyang and 
and calls on the North to engage in dialogue while reaffirming that the US commitments to the defence of South Korea and Japan remain ironclad. Meanwhile, top nuclear envoys from South Korea, the US and Japan jointly condemned the missile launch. According to Seoul's foreign ministry, the denunciation came during a phone conversation between Seoul's special a representative for Korean Peninsula Peace and Security Affairs, Kim Gon, his Japanese counterpart, Hiroyuki Namazu, and U.S. Deputy uh, Special Representative for North Korea, Jung Park. Meanwhile, the North Korean Foreign Minister Choi Sun-hee has arrived in Russia for an official visit. Uh, what do we know so far? Well, according to the North's state-run Korean Central News Agency on Monday, Chair arrived in Moscow on Sunday, leading a delegation of government officials. Her visit comes at the invitation of Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, who visited Pyongyang last October. During her three-day stay, Chair is set to discuss with Lavrov ways to boost a bilateral cooperation. Attention is being drawn whether a visit from Russian President Vladimir Putin to the North will be discussed, as Putin accepted an invitation from North Korean leader Kim Jong-un during their summit in Russia in September last year. Also attracting attention is whether the foreign ministers will touch on the issue of arms deals between their countries. Though Pyongyang and Moscow have denied trading weapons, the US and other Western countries believe the North has continuously uh, supplied Russia with weapons. Meanwhile, the Kremlin just released a statement citing Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov's calling the uh, North our partner and that, a Mos- and that Moscow plans to advance relations with Pyongyang in all areas. OK, let's turn our eyes back home. President Yoon Sang-yeol made an announcement related to the semiconductor industry on Monday. He pledged to extend the tax credit on investments in the industry. The existing scheme is set to end this year. Can you tell us more? Well, at this year's third round of public debates on Monday, Yoon refuted claims that such credit was throwing money around for uh, conglomerates saying increased investment leads to rising profits and jobs in the ecosystem as well as increased uh, state tax revenues. The president said the finance ministry, a state agency that conducts business, offers tax exemptions and state subsidies, knowing they would lead to more taxation and financial income. Referring to the world's biggest uh, semiconductor mega cluster being built in southern Gyeonggi province, with investment estimated to worth 622 uh, uh, trillion won, or around 472 billion US dollars, Yun anticipated that at least Uh, 3 million uh, high-quality jobs will be created over the next 20 years. The president said 950,000 direct and indirect jobs are set to be created in the next five years through investments of 158 trillion won. In other news, South Korea issued a statement in response to Taiwan's election of a pro-American president over the weekend. Seoul said it anticipates peace and stability will be maintained across the Taiwan Strait. This comes after Lai Ching-te, vice president of the ruling Democratic Progressive Party, edged out his China-friendly rival, Ho Yu-e of the Kuomintang on, in Saturday's race. Can you tell us more about Seoul's statement? Well, an official from Seoul's foreign ministry on Sunday, uh, South Korea has watched, uh, said South Korea has watched the election of results and hopes to continue to enhance substantial cooperation with Taiwan across various fields. The official said there is no change in the government's basic position on Taiwan-related uh, matters. The South Korean government has maintained unofficial relations with 
Taiwan under the basic stance of respecting the one China principle. As for concerns about a possible rise in tensions around the Taiwan Strait after the election, the official stressed that peace and stability across the Straits are essential for peace and stability on the Korean Peninsula and a crucial element for regional peace and prosperity. With the Yoon sun administration more clearly voicing opposition to Beijing's attempts to uh, forcibly change the status quo around the Strait, the Taiwan issue has at times emerged as a sore point in Seoul-Beijing relations. Turning now towards the economy, the nation's exports for last December reached the highest monthly volume for that year, recovering to the monthly average from 2022. So can you break down the figures for us? Well, according to the Korea Customs Service on Monday, outbound shipments in December jumped 5% year-on-year to 57.6 billion US dollars. Shipments, which saw a nine-month streak on-year decline through last September, uh, returned to a growing trend in October. Exports of semiconductors and electronics appliances rose from the same period the previous year by 19.1 and 20.2% respectively, while shipments of petroleum and steel products dropped 3.9 and 5.5% respectively. And finally, the cold snap that greeted the nation today is expected to continue until tomorrow morning. Can you tell us more? Well, on Tuesday, the morning temperatures will be similar to or slightly lower than today, with Seoul's morning low reaching minus 7 degrees Celsius, while other parts of the country will see temperatures ranging from minus 13 to 0 degrees Celsius. Tuesday's uh, daytime temperatures will be 4 degrees in Seoul and 2 to 10 degrees nationwide, which is 2 to 3 degrees higher than today. On Monday, it will be mostly clear across the country, while dry weather conditions will continue on the east coast coast of Kangwon province, where a dry weather advisory has been issued. Tuesday will be mostly clear throughout the nation, but the weather will gradually become cloudy in the afternoon. That's all for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you. The nominee to lead South Korea's National Intelligence Service said in a report earlier this month that the most likely successor to Kim Jong-un, the leader of North Korea, appears to be his daughter, Kim Jue. Ever since her surprise public debut accompanying her father to a missile launch in November 2022, she's been a regular presence by his side. Just this month alone, the regime's state media has shown her accompanying her father to a missile factory and a chicken farm. She was also by his side during celebrations to mark the new year. But despite these appearances, many remain sceptical on whether she really is being groomed to succeed, Kim. To discuss this possibility, we have two North Korea experts joining us on the line today. First, we have Dr. Bong Young-shik, research fellow at the Yonsei Institute for North Korean Studies. Dr. Bong, hello. Happy belated Happy New Year. Yes, and Happy New Year to you too. And we also have standing by Kim Jong-min, lead correspondent at NK News. Ms. Kim, hello and welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So before we discuss our main topic today, there is one new development that we would like to touch upon and get your thoughts on first. Uh, North Korea announced today that it had successfully test-fired a solid-fuel hypersonic intermediate-range ballistic missile. 
This comes after recent provocations, firing artillery shells into the sea for three consecutive days. Uh, Ms. Kim, first, what do you read into these provocations? Well, aside from how it made my Sunday miserable, it's possible that um, the intention, partly at least, was to um, gloat about how South Korean military has found, you know, omitted a few information or detected a few wrong things. It seems that Japanese and South Korean um, detection of the range was a little bit diff- different, considering how it's hypersonic IRBM for the first time and also solid fuel. And we have seen signs in previous uh, weeks that North Korea um, conducted con- con- uh, the deceptive operations as well. So it could be in, a, in line of that, but also solid fuel related weapon systems. It's something that North Korea already said that it's in schedule. Dr. Wong, same to you. What do you make of these provocations? What do you think North Korea is looking to achieve? Well, uh, this has been widely and long uh, anticipated uh, since the uh, 8th Party Congress held in January 2021 uh, when the uh, party announced the uh, uh, midterm military modernization program for the next five years to develop five major uh, new types of advanced weapon systems uh, that include the recently tested uh, KN-23. This time, North Korea test-fired the missile with a solid fuel so North Korean uh, military has been on the official schedule uh, to accomplish uh, the uh, uh, goals, uh, uh, you know, announced in the Eighth Party Congress uh, about three years ago. So you can call these provocations, but from North Korean standpoint, these are, you know, stepping stones and the uh, uh, test uh, required for the accomplishment of the, you know, military modernization program of North Korea. Well, if the first couple of weeks of 2024 are anything to go by, it looks like it is going to be a busy year on the North Korea front and lots of weekends disrupted for journalists (laughs) in Korea. Let's turn to the topic that we initially booked you both for last week, and that is the, uh, perhaps we should say, mystery behind Kim Jue. So, Ms. Kim, can you first brief our listeners on Kim Jong-un's daughter, what we know about her, where she's been seen, and perhaps what we don't know about her? Mm. Well, first of all, to start with, uh, what we don't know about her is even her name. It's unclear if it's really Kim Jue because North Korean state media never really referred to her as Kim Jue. We just know that name from Dennis Rodman's um, abrupt revelation. She first appeared in November 2022 when there was an ICBM launched and Kim Jong-un filmed all this very Top Gun style music video. And afterwards, most of the um, her appearances were related to military issues like missile factory or other launches. And at every time there was an appearance like that, the state newspaper focused their angles on how the such launches are for the next generation, like this daughter, or for the self-resilient, uh, self-reliance when it comes to uh, military power. There were a couple of econom- economy-related accompanying um but not that many. But after mostly after July uh, military parade last year, there has been an increased optics with Kim Jue in the middle of photos or even sometimes in front of her father, which is very surprising. And a lot of state media also started using honorifics that it wouldn't really use on other officials like Kim Yo-jong, which a lot of experts did a lot of very bit of tea leaf reading into. Right. And it's also surprising to many as well, because in the past, neither North Korean leader Kim Jong-un nor his father Kim Jong-il were mentioned in North Korean state media before they became adults. So Mm. this is rather unprecedented for the regime, right? 
It is rather unprecedented, but also we have to consider how Kim Jong-un's statecraft, the way the measures of statecraft, it's very different from his father or grandfather. Um, if we compare it, um, Kim Jong-un's very rushed um, revelation of him as a successor could have been a pressure for him. So maybe he wants to get rid of that variable for the next child who will who will inherit the regime and also if she is a successor could be a, a a way to get the legitimacy as quickly as possible even if she is not the actual successor it could be just be meant as a general signal that any fourth generation kim children will be the next leader and it's to signal not only the outside audience but also but mostly north korean residents and the elites as well Dr. Bong, what have you made of Kim Jue's appearance in the last year or so and the assessment made by the NIS that she appears to be the likely successor to Kim Jong-un based on analysis of her public activities and media exposure? Well, I mean, the statement made by the nominee of the new head of the NIS of Korea is uh, premised upon a lot of uh, conditions. If there will be another hereditary succession, then it is likely uh, that Kim Joo-hye is the most likely candidate. But it does not uh, stipulate that Kim Joo-hye uh, has been officially and openly anointed as the next leader of North Korea. But um, North Korean experts uh, uh, take a lot of guess. Uh, that uh, that includes that uh, Kim Joo-hye uh, has been an easy case for uh, Kim Jong-un to publicize because of her birth was already uh, known to the outside world thanks to the conversation that took place between the former NBA player Dennis Rodman and the first lady of North Korean government, uh, Lee Seul-Joo, uh, that Lee Seul-Joo told uh, Dennis Rodman that she was pregnant of a daughter and the name is Joo-hye. Uh, so that is how we know about uh, her existence. So uh, from the North Korean standpoint, uh, there is not much political risk to expose her as a respected child of the screen leadership. Um, there might be a son uh, for uh, Kim Jong-un and Lee Seul-Chu, but uh, he might uh, in a serious uh, health condition. Uh, so one thing is clear that um, the outside world, including uh, South Korean media and the government, you know, uh, has been feeding uh, the uh, regime to play this game. Uh, Kim Jong-un seems to be enjoying uh, the international attention uh, paid on, you know, uh, Kim Joo-hye accompanying him. So there is no reason for Kim Jong-un to stop uh, playing this game. Uh, that's one story. And another story is that uh, Kim Joo-hye uh, might have been really subject to the uh, leadership training uh, because Kim Jong-un did not uh, afford to have a official leadership training because of the sudden collapse of his father when the uh, the uh, not much time left for him to go through official you know succession process. So based upon uh, his own personal experience, uh, if Kim Jae is going to be the uh, next leader of North Korea, then Kim Jong Un as a father and the current leader must have realized that uh, Kim Jae needed uh, to have official training. Right. Well, as uh, you, Miss Kim, and Dr. Bong have said uh, that. Although Kim Jue uh, 
the NIS have said that Kim Jue is uh, the likely successor. Uh, the NIS have stated that they aren't discarding other possibilities, especially as Kim Jong-un is still young and has no major apparent health problems. Uh, Ms. Kim, what are your thoughts on the NIS's analysis and the other possibilities that their spy agency may be referring to? Well, I'm just going to agree with Dr. Bong on how the NIS remarks about this. It's rather more like a dialing down on the caveat um, and just saying that there's increased possibility, not that it's 100% confirmed. And the background to this are the optics that I mentioned. And they used to say that there's an elder son, but this is the caveat that they are just dropping right now by saying that Kim Jue is most likely. But uh, in terms of other possibilities, I wouldn't be surprised if there is a hidden son that Kim Jong-un wouldn't reveal until the succession um, decision is complete, because that's what also happened with other sons of the Kim family in the past. Dr. Wong, do you think there's... Uh, North Korea is, is ready for a female leader. That is a question that many have asked as well. Uh, with her potential leadership role, some experts have expressed caution, not only psyching a lack of political achievement, but also North Korea's patriarchal and male-dominated society. What do you make of these thoughts? Well, in the world history, uh, former empires, uh, uh, mostly in the Western, not just the confined to Western civilization, but former empires uh, used to have not just uh, emperors, but also empresses. Uh, so having the royal bloodline of the mountain pacto is the most important you know, consideration for hereditary succession uh, for the third time in North Korea. So gender does not really play the most critical role. When it comes to uh, having another uh, round of uh, hereditary succession, um, so you might consider uh, North Korea having a woman leader as a new uh, leadership, but at the same time, it might be considered as a com- repetition of the same system that only the uh, member of the Kim royal, royal family, uh, which inherited uh, the uh, royal bloodline of Mount Pecto. Uh, is qualified to assume the leadership. So there is a new element, but at the same time, the old repetitive element as well, if North Korea is indeed going to have a woman leader. Ms. Kim, what do you think about the possibility of having a female leader in North Korea? There's also, of course, in the past been uh, speculation about uh, Kim Jong-un's sister, uh, Kim Yajang, taking on leadership roles as well in the future. Well, I would say that um, just historically speaking, there, 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 it's not so long ago that, that the Korean Peninsula had empresses like in Shilla. Blood is important rather than gender. And that's probably exactly, if that's the case, that's maybe why they're rushing so much. But um, I keep reiterating, reiterating this. I think it's too early to tell. And I think what's really important rather than gender is that Kim Jong-un seems pretty set on making his children inherit the fourth generation um, of the regime. And I think this is what we should really focus on. They, it, there's, there's no way um, North Korea is looking like they are about to collapse or anything. It's more and more becoming difficult to expect that way. So I think if they are really willing to you know, prepare any children, really, including a female children to inherit the regime, that's probably what U.S. and South Korea should be ready for. Dr. Wong, what do you think we should take away from all this speculation about uh, Kim Jue? You mentioned earlier how uh, Kim Jong-un is probably uh, enjoying all the tension that this is getting. Are we 
trying to read too much into the situation at the moment, do you think? I'm inclined to agree with you, saying that uh, we might be uh, trying um, you know, too much uh, to read into this. Uh, we might be paying too much attention to Kim Jue, uh, because, um, you know, uh, it is too early, uh, to uh, tell whether the, uh, you know, nine year old, uh, daughter, uh, will actually assume the power or not. Because as you said, that Kim Jong un is still relatively young, uh, and uh, in a relatively, uh, reasonable health condition. So I don't think the, uh, succession will take place. Uh, barring uh, most extreme uh, scenarios um, for in the near future. So uh, we should focus on delineating, uh, you know, helpful uh, intelligence analysis out of this phenomenon, which is that Kim Jong-un is not supposed to focus on his daughter making public appearances. He, his plate is full with many urgent challenges. Uh, so the fact that Kim Jong-un uh, is accompanying his daughter means that um, his attention uh, is divided. Uh, so he might be in a very desperate situation, despite the uh, you know, sign of confidence that he exuded in the ninth extended uh, party central communist meeting just held uh, you know, last week. So we can uh, delineate uh, that uh, Kim Jong-un uh, despite very strong outside appearance, uh, he's dealing with a lot of challenges. Right, so perhaps, yes, too early to think about Kim Jue as a potential leader of North Korea. But I guess that the more we see her in the state media pictures, uh, the more that idea uh, uh, develops and grows in, our, in the back of our minds. Uh, but we will have to leave it there for today. We've been speaking to Dr. Pung Young-shik from the Yonsei Institute for North Korean Studies and uh, Kim Jong-min from NK News. Thank you once again for your time today. Thank you You're very welcome. much. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index climbed 0.94 points, or 0.04% on Monday, to close at 2,525.99. The tech-heavy Kosdaq fell, losing 8.37 points, or 0.96%, to close at 859.71. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 6.71 against the US dollar, to close at 1,320.21. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at will.kbs.co.kr. Next up, it's Korea Trending, our daily segment where we take a look at some other news stories that have been trending online. And we have with us in the studio Diane Yu to bring us those stories. Diane, hello. It's great to see you. Hello, Jango. Okay, so what do you have for us first today? South Korea faces an issue. Numerous individuals, often middle-aged and isolated, are passing away in solitude each year, frequently remaining unnoticed for days or even weeks. This phenomenon, known as kodoksa, or lonely deaths, is a serious social problem that the government has been striving to address for years. A survey released by the Ministry of Health and Welfare in 2022 showed that the total number of such deaths increased by 8.8% between 2017 and 2021. And according to academic circles on Monday, Daju Young, a professor at the Department of Forensic Medicine at Busan National University College of Medicine, published a paper which takes an in-depth look at who are more likely to become victims of this phenomenon. 
Yes, this is a distressing phenomena in Korea. That's been a social talking point for quite some time now, as right. you said. But it's disturbing that the issue seems to be getting worse. Mm-hmm. First, can you tell us some more about the study and how it was conducted? The study was based on data from 664 forensic autopsy conducted by Professor Na from 2017 to 21. Na used the figures from the 2022 study while also incorporating other findings such as police investigation data. The study found that 19.3% of the lonely death cases were discovered more than three days after death, and the number of men who died in such a way was five times higher than women. In terms of age, the number of kodoksa cases was the highest among people in their 50s with 39.8%, and alcohol seemed to play a part. That's because 63% of cases had a blood alcohol concentration of over 0.03%. To put things into perspective, 0.03% is the limit for drivers in Korea, as anything above that can result in loss of self-control and reduced judgment. Right, so far more men suffering from uh, lonely deaths Mm -hmm. and This also suggests that many people who died were abusing alcohol to some level as well. So what lessons can we take away from this study then? Were there any suggestions for approaches to try and bring down the number of people dying alone? Yes, the study pointed out that in order to prevent lonely deaths, systematic social measures regarding drug and alcohol disorders must be developed beyond existing policies such as strengthening the social networks of vulnerable groups. The study also emphasized the need for integrated management of drug prescriptions, saying that out of the 10 lonely deaths due to suicides, five died from drug addiction. Wow, so 10 lonely deaths that died due to suicide in the study, half had drug abuse issues. That is surprisingly high as well. The Mm -hmm. study is quite a a sobering look at this issue facing Korea today. Let's uh, move on to our second story. What do you have for us? With the length of content people consume these days getting shorter and shorter, especially for millennials and Generation Z, their attention span has shrunk as well. However, because people watch short content endlessly, the sheer amount of time they spend on their phones has increased. As a result, some individuals show extreme cases of having a hard time executing daily routines like taking a shower. There's even a phrase in Korea for describing people's addiction called dough farming. It's a new word that combines dopamine, a hormone secreted when you feel pleasure, and farming, which means collecting. Due to its addictiveness, health experts have raised concerns about the possible ramifications. Okay, so dough farming, it's a play on words in Korean because mm-hmm. there's no sound that separates uh, P and F in right. Korean. So, Dopamine, dopamine, and mm-hmm. dopamine, right. or dopamine, so mm-hmm. farming uh, dopamine. And this, exactly. uh, this is a term that came up as a key word in an annually published book that forecasts the trends of the new year, right? Right. In the book Trend Korea 2024, written by a consumer studies professor at Seoul National University, Kim Nando, dough farming was picked as the key word for this year. A typical example of people falling for dough farming would be continuously consuming short content as the social media platforms endlessly provide a series of short videos that fit their preferences. As you are exposed to new stimuli for a short period of time, a large amount of dopamine is produced, so once people start watching the such content, it's difficult to stop watching them. Also, multitasking, such as playing games on a mobile phone or watching videos on a social media while watching TV, is also classified as dough farming because it adds new stimulation. 
However, as you mentioned earlier, what's been particularly concerning is that uh, doe farming is rapidly spreading among the younger generations and health experts have raised some red flags regarding this trend. Exactly. Health experts believe that dopamine is close to an addiction phenomenon. There's no medical definition for dopamine addiction, but it can be interpreted as addiction as we continually crave new stimulation. And like all addictions, dopamine is not good for long periods of time. Excessive secretion of dopamine can lead to neuropsychiatric diseases such as depression or schizophrenia, as well as decreased concentration and memory loss. So experts suggest people take some time off watching those contents and go through a digital detox to prevent getting addicted to doe farming. Right. I think what's been particularly concerning to me is how quickly our habits have changed as well. This is a phenomenon that's only come up in the last few years or so, and the consequences are unclear. But uh, shorter attention spans uh, does seem to be the outcome. It is something, not just Korea, but uh, all over the world that we will have to be careful of as well. Of course. Let's continue on to our last story. What do you have for us? At the beginning of the year, numerous major corporations in Korea commonly engage in seasonal open recruitment phases to enlist entry-level staff, typically focusing on less seasoned individuals such as recent college graduates. This is the time for young job seekers to apply for their dream jobs and put on formal suits to impress the interviewers. However, formal attire can be a financial burden for those young adults. In order to alleviate the burden, the Seoul Metropolitan Government has been renting out suits for free. And according to the city government on Sunday, the number of rental users reached approximately 55,000 last year. Wow, this actually sounds like an amazing service for young job seekers. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, it seems to have been a a hit. The number of users have been increasing over time, right? Yes, some 270,000 people have used the free suit rental service since it was introduced in 2016. That year, around 4,000 people took advantage of the city's initiative. And in 2023, the number of users increased approximately 14 times to 55,114. In order to improve the service, the city of Seoul surveyed the satisfaction of users and 98.6% responded that they were satisfied. And since its launch, the city government has been continuously expanding the number of locations, including a new branch opening in Chongno district this year. The total number of service branches will reach 14. So is the service available for all job seekers in Seoul? How do you apply for the rental service? The program is available to any Seoul resident who has completed high school or is under the age of 39. Individuals have the opportunity to borrow suits, ties, belts and shoes required for job interviews for a duration of four days with the option to do so up to 10 times per year. When using it for the first time, you must visit in person to give your body measurements. Afterward, you can apply via the rental service website at www.dressfree.net and receive it by delivery service. That's all for Career Training Today. Thank you for those stories, Diane, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Time now for Monday Sports Roundup, our weekly dive into the latest sporting headlines from Korea. And with the sporting knowledge and updates, we have joining us on the line now sports reporter Yu Ji-ho from the Yonap News Agency. Ji-ho, hello. It's great to have you with us. Yeah, it's great to be here. 
So the AFC Asian Cup kicked off last Friday in Qatar. And later today, in less than an hour's time, in fact, South Korea will get their campaign started. They are taking on Bahrain in Group E. Expectations are high because head coach Jurgen Klinsmann has stated that they're looking to win the cup this year. But first, there is Bahrain. So, Jiho, what do we need to look out for in this match? Yeah, I think on paper, it should be really a cakewalk for Korea. Uh, They're the top-ranked team in group group E at number 23. Uh, Bahrain checking at at number 86 in the uh, latest FIFA rankings. And this Korean team in particular... Uh, they're considered one of the most talented squads from this country ever, uh, led by the likes of Tottenham Hotspur captain Son Heung-min, who's also the captain on the national team, uh, Bayern Munich defender Kim Min-jae, and PSG midfielder Lee Gang-in, and of course, uh, in total, a dozen players plying their trade in Europe. And one of those Europe-based players, Hwang Hee-chan of Overhampton Wanderers, is a little bit banged up he, with uh, some left hip injury. Uh, he might uh, not be available against Bahrain, but uh, you know what? I, I don't think Korea really should need this guy to be Bahrain, so kind of take him easy, uh, taking it easy for him uh, for the long haul of this tournament. So against Bahrain all time, uh, Korea have 11 wins, 4 draws and 1 loss. Uh, but at the uh, 2019 Asian Cup, in fact, the previous edition of the tournament, Bahrain actually pushed Korea to the extra time in the round of 16 before Korea ended up winning 2-1. to one. Uh, so there's a bit of a history, I think, you know, it was, you know, five years ago, not a lot of players on either side still on the team, but uh, there's a little bit of a history of Korea maybe playing down to the level of the competition a little bit, having some trouble against the lesser opponents. Uh, but so it's going to be important. Uh, you know, first match of a tournament, always crucial. And uh, Korea, I think, still should be able to cruise through the group stage. Yes, Korea is expected to make it out of the group stage comfortably. But still, it would have been nice to have a fully fit squad. It would have put all our minds at ease. Uh, you've mentioned that Hwang Yi-chan has picked up a nick, but he's not the only one, right? So what's the injury situation for the rest of the team? Yeah, so Hwang Yi-chan dealing with some left hip issue. Like I said, there's no need to push him against the team that Korea should have no trouble beating. Uh, back on defense, uh, left back Kim jin Su is dealing with uh, left leg injury. Also questionable uh, for the uh, opening match. Uh, midfielder Lee Jae-sung missed some early training sessions in, in, uh, in Doha with some bumps and bruises, but I think he should be able to play uh, on, on Monday night. Now, interestingly, you know, Qatar hosted the World Cup late 2002, barely a year ago, and Korea right now, they're working out at the same training site that they used during the World Cup uh, in December, November, December 2022. And they experienced some injury woes back then as well. Hwang Yi-chan was banged up. Kim Min-jae was not 100% for the tournament. It's a bit of, a, I guess, a deja vu a little bit uh, as far as injury issues are concerned. But uh, again, Korea, with uh, uh, Jordan and Malaysia coming up later in the group stage, uh, should be able to just uh, breeze through the group stage at this point. Right. As you mentioned, Korea has one of the most talented squads in its history, but we should stress that's the starting eleven. really. The backup team is uh, not as strong. So if some key players do pick up injuries, that could leave Korea exposed. So it's important to try and keep our best players fit. Uh, in any case, even the B team, as you said, should be able to s- sail through the group stage. The game against Bahrain is tonight, 8.30pm Korea time. The second game against Jordan is Saturday 8.30pm Korea time as well. Uh, we'll see where we stand next Monday before the final group game against Malaysia on January 25th. 
Let's continue on now and on to winter sports because the fourth edition of the Winter Youth Olympics will open in the Korean Eastern Province of Gangwon on Friday. It will run until February 1st. So, Jiho, can you tell us more about this event? Yeah, so six years after Pyeongchang and its surrounding towns hosted the Winter Olympics, I guess for the grown-ups, the province of Gangwon will be back in the winter sports spotlight as the first non-European host of the Winter Youth Olympics. Uh, many of the Olympic venues will be used once again for this youth competition, including all the ice sports facilities in, in the city of Gangneung. Uh, we're talking about figure skating, speed skating, short track, curling, and hockey, and also some snow and sliding events in and around Pyeongchang. Uh, that includes biathlon, ski jumping, bobsleigh, luge, and skeleton. Now, so it's going to be the largest Winter Youth Olympics with uh, 1,803 athletes from 79 nations. They're going to be competing in 81 events across seven sports and 15 disciplines. Uh, host Korea will have the largest delegation with one of two. Uh, medals will be handed out, but you know what? There's actually no official medal race at the Youth Olympics. Uh, there's a focus on, I guess, education through cultural uh, uh, immersion experience, uh, cultural exchange. Uh, forging friendship with other teenagers. Uh, this is open to athletes between the ages of 15 and 18. Um, so I guess to kind of discourage it too, too much of a competition, there's no uh, medal table there. Right. All the events, except for Friday's opening ceremony, will be free. Uh, you just have to make an online reservation ahead of time. The opening ceremony will be held simultaneously in two different pl- places, in Gangneung and also in Pyeongchang. So the athletes will be marching into the Gangneung Oval, which is the uh, speed skating venue, and the Pyeongchang Dome will feature some cultural events and uh, performances with K-pop singers and rappers. Right, okay. So as you said, there's no official medals race. and The focus of the event is on celebrating youth sports and encouraging perhaps the participation development of young mm-hmm. athletes. But still, I'm sure there will be many athletes who will compete just as hard and look to make their names known. Who are some uh, Korean athletes to watch out for? Yeah, again, uh, you know, medals will not be official, but a lot of the Youth Olympics alumni have gone on to win medals at the uh, grown-up Olympics in recent years. So this is a pretty good stepping stone, I think, for a lot of the teenage athletes. Uh, And the biggest Korean youngsters would perform toward the end of the uh, competition this time. Uh, In figure skating, we have uh, a 15-year-old sensation, Shinjia, who is favored to win uh, or at least uh, reach the podium in the women's singles. Uh, Her free skate is on January 30th. Uh, Shinjia is the uh, two-time reigning world junior silver medalist. She won two junior Grand Prix titles this season finished second at the Junior Grand Prix final behind her top rival, Mao Shimada of Japan, who is also going to, going to be competing in Gangneung. Now, two teen, uh, teenager uh, snowboarders will compete on the final day of the Youth Olympics. We have Che Ga-on and Lee Che-won in the uh, men's, women's and men's halfpipe event. Uh, Che won her uh, first senior World Cup title in her debut in December. Uh, Lee Che-won won the men's world title in half-pipe in March last year and also the World Cup bronze medal in December. So they're building up nicely, not only for this week or, or I guess later this month or next month, but also building up nicely for the Olympics in 2026. Okay, let's uh, move on to some baseball news now as well. Last week, the Korea Baseball Organization announced some major rule changes for the upcoming 2024 season. And the headline update is that Korea will implement the automated ball strike system better known as the robot umpire. So, Jiho, 
this could be quite a landmark moment. Can you tell us more about this change and some of the other new features for the new look KBO? Yeah, it's going to be a lot of new stuff uh, happening in the KBO this year. The KBO is adopting many of the new rules introduced in the Major League Baseball before the 2023 season. So the bases will be enlarged to reduce injury risks and also, also encourage steals. The robot umpires will be put in place to ensure, I guess, obviously, accuracy and fairness. MLB has not done it yet. Uh, they're still being experimented in the minors, but the KBO, I guess, a little bit ahead of the curve on their front. Also, KBO will follow MLB's example in banning infield shifts. At least two infielders are required on, required on either side of the second base. Uh, it's going to likely lead to more hits for pull-heavy hitters from either side of the plate. Now, on the other hand, the adoption of the pitch clock, which uh, MLB introduced in 20, last year, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's being put on hold. The KBO's original proposal was to introduce it at the start of the season, but a lot of the teams actually uh, were against it. So they're going to have a test run of the pitch clock, uh, forcing pitchers to deliver a pitch within a certain amount of time. So they're going to be used, but not strictly enforced for the first half. And then they're going to decide whether they're going to use it fully for the second half of this season. Very briefly, Jiho, what are your thoughts on these changes? Are you on board with them or do you think we'll have to see? I love them, but my favorite would have been pitch clock because it would speed up the games. Mm. Uh, and the cable games are too long. Uh, over three hours, and the MLB has been able to cut about 25 minutes off their game time with the pitch clock. So I, I know I say put it in place right away, but the teams again obviously had different ideas. Okay, that's why we'll wrap it up for our roundup this week. Jiho, thank you as always, and we'll talk to you again next time. Okay, thanks for having me. I am pianist Park Jae Hong. You are now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. We've come to our closing segment now, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Korea Times and the Korea Herald. We thank for providing us with their early editions to make this segment possible. And for that, we have joining us in the studio our staff editor, Richard Larkin. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Good to be back. Okay. So what do you have for us? Well, if you head to the national section of the Korea Herald, you will see Lee Jung-ju's article, which is about a quite an ambitious restoration project. The Seoul Metropolitan Government is looking into restoring Don Moon, also known as Sodemun, or the Westgate in English. Yes. This is one of the four great gates mm. that surrounded uh, hole during the Joseon era. Right up until 1915. Mm. Unfortunately, it was destroyed during the Japanese occupation of South Korea so that trams can freely move around in that area. The other three gates of Seoul have been restored, so this is the last one left. If the city decides to go through with this project, there will be two phases to the restoration. Okay, so walk us through what the restoration would look like. How long would it take? Well, so this is why I said that the project is ambitious. The article mentions that for the first phase, the Don Imun Museum Village, which is like a cultural space in that area, will be demolished and turned into a park by 2026. Then for the next phase, uh, Semunan Ro, which is a road in that area, will be placed underground by 2035. And the idea is that the gate will be restored on top of it. So it's still not decided whether this project 
project will start or not. The city first needs to finalize talks with the Cultural Heritage Administration, but over 300 million US dollars are expected to be used for the restoration and the road changes. Wow, 300 million dollars. Yes. That is a huge amount. And as you said, it's going to take at least 10 years mm-hmm. uh, plus. And as ever with projects like this, it could go uh, over budget as well. Right. So we have to brace for that as well, I'm sure. Uh, many people would love to see this gate restored, but mm. yes, it could prove to be uh, very difficult indeed. And I can't imagine the traffic in that area during that time period as well. Exactly. Okay. So let's uh, move on in the meantime to our next article. What do you have for us? So Anna J. Park's article in the national section of the Korea Times has information about the new cryptocurrency scam in Korea. More victims have fallen victim to it. Uh, so financial authorities have brought them to light so that others don't fall for them. Okay, so what is this new scam? So people are offering well-known coins listed at major crypto exchanges at prices lower than the market rates, around 30% lower. Except these coins are fake coins that have a similar name to the well-known ones. Mm. Then there are companies who offer similar deals. Uh, They tell the victims that the reason the price is so low is because there is a lockup period. So I did a little research and a lockup period means that the coin cannot be transferred or sold for a certain amount of time. This usually takes place during the first two years of a new crypto coin's life so that they can become stable in the market. Okay, so they buy these crypto coins for what they believe is a great deal, but they get told that they cannot resell for a certain amount of time while the scammers have taken their money then. Yes, exactly. Yeah, These companies show a payment guarantee document, but they are... The documents are forged. And the article mentions that the crypto business is booming right now in Korea. And these scams have been popping up. And uh, so the financial authorities have asked those who trade to ignore those who are selling items at a lower cost without a good reason. Yes, I think this is where the old adages come in. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. <laughs> exactly. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Uh, <laughs> there's always a price to pay. I I could go on. But yes, uh, in the meantime, there are also other phishing scams that are rife at the moment as well in mm. Korea that don't prey on a person's greed. So please do be careful out there yes. as well. Okay, we'll wrap it up there for Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for those stories, Richard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And that's where we wrap up our show today. Thank you for staying with us. Uh, We hope you can do us again tomorrow for you to continue to get your daily dose of Korean news analysis. Till then, I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. KBS World Radio.